welcome to episode 172 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And to kick things off this week, we need to thank some of our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Amanda, Laura Priest, Laura Rogers, Jacqueline Cordova, Tessa, Mariana Z, Danielle Pordash, Brittany Pollard, Lauren Barnes, Carrie Drizik, Amy Colvin, Sky, Ellie Lane, Christian Williams, Brandy, Deb in Oz, Andy Feicht, Timothy Nail, Rachel H, and Steve C.D. Gonzalez Newman. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and appreciate you every single day. And I just also wanted to thank you all for voting for Real Life Ghost Stories at the Irish Podcast Awards. Real Life Ghost Stories came third. We got bronze in the Listener's Choice Award, which was super exciting. I was so unbelievably delighted. You guys have absolutely played a blinder this year with voting for Real Life Ghost Stories and things. And I know it, like it is a pain. I understand it's a pain to vote for things and you kind of go, oh yeah, I'll do it later and then you forget. And all of those things happen. So thank you all so much for voting. Real Life Ghost Stories came third in both the British and Irish Podcast Awards this year in the Listener's Choice Awards. So thank you. I cannot thank you enough. You're all wonderful. You're amazing. I love you all. Thank you. I wish I could thank you all personally, but I can't. Um, But yeah, I'm just really happy. Thank you so much. And our film review this week. Our film review is The Perfection. The Perfection has 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb and 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. When troubled musical prodigy Charlotte seeks out Elizabeth, the new star pupil of her former school, the encounter sends both musicians down a sinister path with shocking consequences. Now, I would like to think in life that I'm not a particularly bad person. I do my bit. I do my bit. But every time I watch a film like this, I think to myself... I'm being punished. I'm being punished by God or the universe or whatever entity exists out there that doles out punishment. This is my punishment. Shit films. So let's just start with the likes. And uh, what did I like about this film? Very fucking little. That's what I liked about this film. All right. Okay. No. I liked the outfits. There were some good dresses, some good general outfits in there. I thought the actual genuine sexual tension in the beginning between the two girls was like really hot. I was like, this is cool. And I was like, this is some black swan shit. I can get into this film. And then it all went downhill from there. We're moving straight into the dislikes, people. This film review is going to be short and brutal. If you haven't seen this film, I'm going to try not to spoil it. But I can't promise anything. And I need to caveat this by saying that I did watch this movie kind of mildly hungover and eating Chinese food. And I don't want to be dramatic, but it actually was the worst thing that has ever happened to me. It was the worst thing that has ever happened to me. And a lot of shit things have happened to me, okay? And and this this film, this film I, I was the worst thing that ever happened to me. First of all, this film is not for emetophobic people. If you are an emetophobe, which means you have a phobia of vomiting, this film is not for you. And while this film was about like two musicians, two cellists who are musical prodigies, you know what the only symphony that was happening in this film? It was a symphony of vomiting and bodily fluid. Like I genuinely started to wonder, is this like a little bit of fetishization of vomiting, people 
pissing themselves. Like there's a whole sequence in in the film where one of the girls is like just repeatedly saying she's going to shit herself, and then we get like a an image of her squatting on the side of the road. Like honestly, it did feel almost fetishized. It was so strange. You know, like in um, Quentin Tarantino movies where he always shows feet in his movies and everyone talks about him having a foot fetish. Fine. Like, that's fine. I have no issue with anybody having any sort of fetish. Obviously, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Right. I just want to make that very clear. There was just this movie had a lot of stuff in it that made me very queasy and uncomfortable. And while I was eating my Chinese takeaway and feeling mildly hungover and feeling very sorry for myself... In general, this movie was not it. It was not the go-to. It was not the go-to. I'm going to try and talk about the story as little as possible because I don't want to ruin the story for people who want to watch it. And it is one of those ones that if I start picking holes in the story, I'm going to give the whole story away. The dialogue in this movie was awful. Like, it was really badly written. There was so much swearing that added nothing to the dialogue that my brother walked in kind of like halfway through me watching this film and my brother like loves movies loves tv shows loves series and I explained to him what was going on and then we started watching the film together I can't tell you the amount of times I was going John why are we watching this what is happening this is this is terrible and he was the one that said that pointed out to me he's like why is there so much swearing in this film like it's really unnecessary it's thrown into sentences there. It doesn't add anything to the sentence. It actually kind of weakens what everybody's talking about. And he was so right. He was so right. And there was times in the dialogue where it was actually just awkward and embarrassing. And it was a movie that like dealt with really serious issues. Really serious issues that really do happen in the world. But dealt with those issues in a really terrible way. It almost felt to me that the storyline was wrapped around these central moments of like gross out horror and violence. Like somebody sat down and was like, I want to get vomiting into this story. I want to get somebody chopping their arm off into this story. I want to get somebody nearly shitting themselves into the story. And I also want people being sexually assaulted in the story too. I want all those things in the story. How are we going to do it? And they sort of create this really bizarre narrative to wrap around those things. And maybe it's because I'm a bit emetophobic. I can't escape the vomiting. I just can't get over it. But I, I really, I really didn't enjoy the story. I thought it was a story that needed to be told, but could have been told in a very different way. I thought the dialogue was awful. I didn't particularly even like the acting, even though I like the actors that were in it. I kind of, by the end of the movie, I kind of just wanted to beat everybody up. Like, I don't know how else to say it. I just wanted to beat everybody up. I don't know what that says about me. I don't know what it says about the person that I am. Maybe I'm just a terrible person. But maybe, maybe people just need to write better movies, okay? Maybe they just need to write better movies. Oh, I can't believe how much I hated this film. I want that time back. I want that time back. When you're slightly hungover and eating Chinese food, your time is precious. You want to be watching something good on TV or something that is mindless but entertaining. I do not want to be watching bodily fluids and sexual assault. I just, I just don't want to be watching it, okay? I, I, this film was meant to be about girls who are musical prodigies, okay? I want to watch good cello recitals. That's what I want to watch. And don't talk to me about the cello recital that was at the end of this film. It was fucking weird. 
it was weird when this film was over my brother actually said to me i want you to pay me for watching the end of that film i want you to pay me for it and actually i don't think your job pays enough for you to watch films like that those are the two things he said and then he also said do you want me to contribute to your film review because i've got three words for it it was shite and he wasn't wrong it's a one star for me sorry to all those people who loved it i really didn't get it didn't like it it's one stars for the perfection which brings us to our story this week and our story this week does not center around cello players it does not center around bodily fluids you'll be glad to know but it is a story that is kind of one of the lesser known stories but it is a story that was really really important in the paranormal circles for a very long time and kind of still is today so let's get straight into it is there anything better and more comforting than a grilled cheese sandwich or as we call it a toasted cheese sandwich well yes there is a grilled cheese sandwich that's worth twenty-eight thousand dollars it was 1994 and diana dyser had made herself a cheese toasty she took a single bite and then placed the sandwich into a clear plastic bag and put it on her nightstand for 10 years it sat there and every night Diana would take the sandwich and gaze at it lovingly through the clear plastic case. Every night she would tenderly stroke the sandwich before placing it back on her nightstand and thanked God for the blessing of the grilled cheese. She believed that the sandwich brought her years of good luck, joy and it protected her from harm. This cheese toasty brought good fortune of biblical proportions it wasn't just a grilled cheese sandwich it was a message from god after diana had taken the first bite of that sandwich she noticed something amazing something beautiful there in the brown surface of the toasted bread was the image of the virgin mary why the Virgin Mary would choose to make herself known in the form of a grilled cheese sandwich is unknown. Somewhat strangely, in the 10 years that the Virgin Mary grilled cheese was on her nightstand, the sandwich never decomposed or grew mold. It remained in perfect condition. Although I'm not sure I would have risked a bite after that length of time for fear of both food poisoning or the wrath of God. In November 2004, the sandwich was posted on eBay for auction. No one knows why Diana decided it was time to sell the divine snack. Perhaps she felt that the good fortune it brought needed to be shared. But whatever the reason, eBay initially removed the listing from the website, claiming that joke adverts would not be tolerated. Somehow, Diana managed to convince eBay that her listing was entirely in earnest. And in all, the listing was viewed over 1 million times and was bought by an online casino for $28,000. Pareidolia is a phenomenon that is discussed all the time in paranormal circles. It is a psychological phenomenon in which our brain finds familiar patterns in random data. The Virgin Mary in the toast is a famous example. A predisposition towards Catholic depictions of the Virgin Mary caused Diana Dyser to see the shape of her face in the brown markings on a piece of toast. 
It's the same phenomenon that causes us to see faces in the clouds or the man in the moon. We're genetically predisposed to look for patterns. It's an evolutionary quirk which was instrumental in our survival. The ability to find patterns in nature and read a potential predator's face in an instant meant that humans could make split-second decisions as to whether we needed to run or hide. Today, pareidolia is not necessarily keeping us alive with the same urgency, but it is still an evident phenomenon in our day-to-day -day life. And every so often, stories of pareidolia make the headlines. Generally, it's reported in a satirical way, but sometimes when faces appear where they shouldn't appear, the cries of pareidolia are quickly dampened. Belmez is beautiful. It is a small village of less than 2,000 people and it sits in the Andalusian region of Spain. Andalusia has the Mediterranean border to the south and a Portuguese border to the west and it is a place that is rich in history. Life moves slowly in Belmez and it is an unremarkable and quiet place, albeit picturesque and beautiful. Our story begins on August the 23rd, 1971, and it was a normal day for Maria Gomez Camara. She had lived in Belmez her whole life, and now she lived happily with her husband Juan and his son Miguel. The Monday morning started out the same as any other Monday. It was hot, and Maria busied herself around the kitchen, preparing the food for the day and sweeping the concrete floors. She made a mental note of something she would spilled on the kitchen floor and when she had finished sweeping, she went to the sink to rinse a cloth in order to clean up the spillage. She rinsed it and dropped to her knees to clean up the stain, letting a breath puff from her lips as she felt the familiar twinge of pain in her knees. She felt like her body was aging and mused over it as she ran the cloth over the floor the stain disappearing in a dark, wet circle on the concrete. When she turned back around to get cleaning, she noticed something that made her stop in her tracks. She returned to the stain, her head cocked to one side and her face scrunched up in concentration. She took one step backwards, dropped the cloth into the sink and left. When Maria returned, she had brought Juan and Miguel with her, determined that they needed to bear witness to what was happening in her kitchen. When Maria had first scrubbed the stain away, she thought nothing of it. But when she returned, the water had dried. The stain had returned. And this time, as she looked at it, she saw something unmistakable. It was a face. A man's face with open eyes and an open mouth and long dark lines on its face like whiskers. Maria, Juan and Miguel stood around the stain and studied it. Maria washed the stain away, scrubbing it, and the three sat on chairs in the kitchen waiting for the floor to dry. And as it did, the unmistakable features of a man's face reappeared, except this time they seemed to have shifted slightly. 
were the eyes now in a different position, searching for the inhabitants of the house. Maria pleaded with her husband and her son to get rid of it. Whatever it was, it hadn't been there yesterday, and it was a face, a human face, somehow stained into the cold, grey concrete. Juana Miguel did not need convincing. The whole episode was bizarre and they dutifully grabbed two pickaxes and returned to the kitchen. Together they swung their picks into the floor and the face slowly disappeared into a mess of cracks and rubble. And when they were finished, they removed what had been displaced, mixed up some new concrete and poured it into the hole that had been left. Not much really happened in Belmez and word had spread very quickly that Maria Gomez had a face in her floor. In a town of around 1,500 people, one person's news is everyone's news, and people were already curious as to what this might mean. As the new concrete dried on the floor of the small house, everything was quiet for about a week, and the family put the incident down to a strange occurrence and tried to forget about it. But it soon became clear that the problem had not gone away. A new face had emerged. But this time, slightly different and in a different position. Now the news was bubbling through the town and the mayor visited the house. He surveyed the scene and spoke with the family about their experiences. The family were clearly terrified and the mayor ordered that the floor was not to be broken up again without having some of the floor taken away for scientific analysis to check and see if there was a natural reason for the appearance of the faces. The family also reached out to their local council and asked for assistance in any way that the council deemed necessary or appropriate. Both the council and the mayor were keen to get to the bottom of the mystery as the people in the town were becoming really interested in what was happening and the sooner there was an answer then things could go back to normal in the sleepy town. Throughout this time of meetings and decisions, more and more faces had begun to appear in the floor of the house. The faces were very clearly human, and there was talk that the faces' emotions changed day by day. Faces of women and children appeared, and if one face disappeared, then another would appear. And Maria and her family had no clue what to do. And the people of the village began knocking on the door to see the faces for themselves. It was clear that the marks on the floors were faces. This was not a case of mistaken identity, where a few blobs looked like a face at a certain angle. These were very clearly human faces. In the meantime, the council decided to rip up the floor and see what was underneath. And what was underneath the floor shocked the community and set the rumour mill whirling. Ten feet under the floor were several skeletons. The house had been built on a medieval graveyard and some of the skeletons dated back to the 13th century. And some were buried without their heads. The decision was made to remove the skeletons to give them a proper Catholic burial in a nearby graveyard. 
The event was declared to be the most important paranormal occurrence in the 20th century by Dr. Hans Bender, a prominent parapsychologist, and the samples of the floor were sent to the Instituto de Ceramica e Vidrio, who found absolutely no evidence of any pigment or dyes that could have been used to create the faces. After the skeletal remains were removed and the cement floor was redone, the family believed that their ordeal was over. It wasn't. A few weeks later, the faces began to appear again. Faces on the floor and the walls, faces of differing ages, genders and emotions. Sometimes the faces appeared to be screaming. As word of the strange events spread, the phenomenon was reported in news outlets and people flocked to see the Belmez faces. And among those that flocked to the house were paranormal investigators who were determined to establish whether or not the faces were a hoax. In order to test the theory that the faces were hoaxed, the faces in the kitchen were covered with a cloth which was sealed at the edges. The room was then closed off and wax seals were placed on the doors and the windows. The whole process was documented by a German film crew in order to ensure the legitimacy of the results. Three months later, the room was opened again, and the faces had moved and changed in that time. During the three-month investigation, microphones were planted around the house in order to see if there was any noises to be captured and also listen in on conversations in the household to see if there was any evidence of trickery. There was no evidence of trickery, but the microphones did capture sounds. Voices. Voices that spoke in strange languages and the sounds of humans moaning in anguish which seemed to reflect the torment in the eyes of the faces that were appearing all over the house. The fact that the concrete showed no signs of paint or dye and the faces appeared to move in the three-month experiment meant that many paranormal researchers were convinced that this series of events was irrefutable proof of the paranormal. And some believed that it was evidence of what is known as thoughtography. Thoughtography, also called projected thermography, psychic photography, is the claim to be able to burn images from one's mind into surfaces, such as photographic film by psychic means. It was noted during the incident in the Belmez house that the faces seemed to reflect the mood of Maria herself and that the faces seemed to slow down or not appear at all in periods of time when Maria was away from the house. There have been lots of famous cases of psychic photography over the years. For example, in 1995, famed psychic Yuri Geller began to use a 35mm camera in his performances. The lens cap left on the camera, Geller would take a picture of his forehead and then have the pictures developed. Geller claimed that subsequent images had come directly from his mind. James Randi claimed that Geller had performed this trick by using a handheld optical device or by taking photographs of the already exposed film. In the 1960s, it was claimed that Chicago resident Ted Serios, a hotel bellhop in his late 40s, used psychokinetic powers to produce images on Polaroid instant film. 
Serio psychic claims were bolstered by the endorsement of a Denver-based psychiatrist, Jewel Eisenbutt, who wrote a book, The World of Ted Serios, photographic studies of an extraordinary mind, arguing that Serios's purported psychic abilities were genuine. However, professional photographers and skeptics found that Serios was employing a simple sleight of hand. So whether or not Maria was using photography in order to create these images is still being debated to this day. An article in Mysterious Universe did extensive evaluation into the case and they established the following. In the years since, the faces of Belmez have been analysed and investigated to try and find a rational explanation, with frustratingly mixed results. Original tests were very inconclusive, and researchers claimed that there was no paint or dye involved with their production, although others later claimed that some of the faces seemed to show under infrared lighting obvious signs of paint strokes and pigmentation. Some analysis said there was pigmentation compound present, whereas others found no such evidence of tampering, making it all rather inconsistent and muddying the waters. Later studies have been just as frustrating, with some showing traces of the use of zinc, lead and chromium used in paint, yet another analysis carried out later by the Instituto de Ceramica e Vidrio in 1990 came to the conclusion that no traces of paint were found at any place. More recently, there was an analysis carried out in 2014 by an investigative TV show and research was done by an eminent chemical engineer, who not only was unable to reproduce the faces through any means, but also found that the faces weren't made with paint. And according to scientific knowledge and techniques employed in the analysis, there is no external manipulation or elements. So, were they made with paint or not? It's hard to tell with these contradictory studies. Other than paint or dye, another possibility is that some sort of acidic agent was used, such as nitric acid or sulfuric acid, or an oxidizing agent or perhaps even some agent that is light sensitive and darkens in sunlight such as silver nitrate. This still leaves the question of how Maria pulled it off under the scrutiny of so many witnesses, or how she was able to have the faces disappear or reappear and change expressions with such indelible materials, let alone how she would have been able to do it when the room was completely sealed off. Maria Gomez Camara herself died in 2004 at the age of 85, and throughout her whole life she insisted that she had not faked the faces and that they were real. Later ideas are that her son, Diego, was actually the one behind the hoax, although the question of how he did it has never been conclusively answered. Whether the faces that appeared in the house in Belmez were a real paranormal phenomena or a hoax, they definitely existed. And they were definitely faces. This was not a case of pareidolia. Many of these stories come down to whether or not there was financial gain involved. And the reports on financial gain in this story are varied. Some reports say that while the House of a Thousand Faces had thousands of visitors, the family never charged a fee. But others say that Maria charged a fee for the people to view the house. Either way, there is no conclusive explanation as to what happened in this house. 
and the faces continued to appear until Maria's death in 2004. I just love this story. What a strange little story. And I love that everyone got so swept up in it. Like, it's such a big story. It kind of, like, gives me Enfield Poltergeist vibes. It gives me Battersea Poltergeist vibes where, like, the newspapers were reporting about it. People were getting involved. Eminent paranormal, like, psychologists and parapsychologists and paranormal researchers were getting involved. And there is still no answer to it. There just isn't any answer. The sceptical answers tend to be that it was a hoax, right? Which is fair enough. I can see why people would think that. So people often say uh, Maria hoaxed it or one of her kids hoaxed it. That's fine. But nobody's able to say conclusively how it was done. I mean, it's all well and good to say, oh, they obviously painted the faces on the floor. Fine. But how did they do it? And how did they do it under such scrutiny? And that is the thing that gets me about this story. Those bits of concrete were like, gathered up and they were sent here there and everywhere people were involved like the council people were trying to figure out like if the hoax was done how was the hoax done and I can't figure out how it was done and I think before you go any further with this story you need to look up the faces that appeared in the Belmez house those faces are wild they are wild like some of them some of them look like a kid's drawn them others are sort of like a smudge and then there's some that are like like photographs it's the most bizarre thing there is such a disparity between the faces there's no sort of uh continuity there's no sense of okay this one single person has clearly drawn all these faces because they're all they all have this same quality to them or whatever i mean some of them are hilarious some of them are definitely like Oh, that that looks like a kid has drawn it. But then there are other ones that are like crazy. Like they're pretty good. They're pretty good faces. And I can tell you now, they're definitely. This is not a case of pareidolia. This is one hundred percent not a case of people seeing things that shouldn't be there. But did this start off as one of those things that was a joke, but then got out of hand, and then got bigger and bigger and bigger, like? Did one of these kids that was living in that house paint a face on the floor somehow? I still don't really understand how they did it. Maria got rid of it. It returned. She freaked out. They thought it had changed positions. They totally overreacted, smashed up the floor. The kid was like, this is gas. Like, this is fucking hilarious. So then the kid draws more faces. The next thing you know, the counsellor in, smashing up the house. The kid's like, oh my God, sweating trying to sneak around the house, drawing all these faces, slowly becoming an art prodigy while he's doing so. He's like, I'm actually getting fucking better at this. I'm not too bad at this drawing faces malarkey. And then all of a sudden, there's thousands of people lining up. Mum and dad are making loads of money. The kid's like having a fucking breakdown, trying to keep up with the drawing of these faces. If one disappears, he's drawing another one. Like, is that what happened? But how do they disappear? How do they make them disappear? And come back again. Were these people in this tiny village in Spain. Did they singularly figure out like. How to do invisible ink type shit. Because I don't understand how they did it. And I'm. This is one of those stories. That I'm kind of. I wouldn't begrudge it. If it turned out it was a hoax. You know I wouldn't be like. Oh that's disappointing. I'd be like. Oh but how did you do it. Because that is a clever hoax. That is a good hoax. However you managed to do that. That's the thing you need to bottle and sell because that is clever. And you know what? 
This family was relatively poor, apparently. If they figured out how to, like, draw these faces on the floor and hoax people and people wanted to, you know, pay a couple of cents or whatever to get in, then so be it. Like, good on them. Fair play to them. And maybe it started off genuine and then they realised there's a way to make money out of this. You know, maybe it started off, like I said, something appeared on the floor, there was an overreaction, etc, etc. And maybe she was just like, listen, actually... Diego, I know you've been doing this, but this could make us a few make us a few bobs. So, you know, you need to get those paintbrushes out or whatever it is that you're doing there. Or maybe it's a case of thoughtology. Let me know what you think, because I'm curious to know what people think about this, especially after you look up the pictures of the faces and try and find somewhere that has like loads of pictures of the faces printed because there are so many different ones. There were a thousand faces that were counted, at least a thousand over that period of time. So do go look them up and see. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you again for voting for Real Life Ghost Stories in the Irish Podcast Awards. If you have a story that you would like to send into Real Life Ghost Stories, you can do so by emailing it to Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to know anything else about the podcast, you can check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for extra content, you can access tons of extra spooky content over on patreon for five dollars a month or two dollars a month and it is patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories thank you so much for listening and i will see you next time